Welcome to this edition of Ecumenical Musings, where we explore and muse on the ecumenical scene in Australia and other parts of the world. I'm Richard Tewton, and I thank you for joining me as we focus on something that many, if not most, Christians have been given, or as many have said, has been done to them. I'm talking about baptism, the sacrament that brings Christians into membership of the Church, and has often been described as bringing people into God's family. Do you remember your baptism? If you were baptised as a young child or infant, you probably won't remember the occasion. Your parents and other relatives may have photos of the big day, but perhaps the only tangible evidence of your baptism in your possession is the card that was presented to your parents containing the date and place of the ceremony. You may, like me, have no card commemorating your baptism. I personally know the church where I was baptised, but not the date. Fortunately, my baptism, along with many others, is recorded in the registers of the parish. I once was invited to preach in the church where I had been baptised so long ago. When the visit was being organised, I happened to mention to the parish priest that I had been baptised there. When I arrived on the day, I found out that he'd been doing some detective work because he produced the parish baptism register containing the details of my baptism, which he proudly showed me, as well as showing the members of the assembled congregation. So I was welcomed as a member of the parish, but there was one question that he couldn't resist asking. Where have you been since the day of your baptism? A broad chuckle went round the building. Some of you may not have been baptised as a child, but as an adult. I, along with my colleagues of different denominations, have administered baptism to those who have stood and made their profession of faith themselves. I fondly remember being one of three clergy who baptised a large group of adults in the local river on the island of New Britain in Papua New Guinea many years ago. These too are special occasions, because those being baptised may have been thinking about their decision for many years, and only then have they felt that it was time to put their thoughts about their Christian belief into action. So, age does not matter when it comes to being baptised. This diversity shows the flexibility of the sacrament. There is no fixed age by which it has to be administered. Most churches offer baptism to their members and those who seek it. I say most because there are churches, such as the Salvation Army, that do not have baptism as part of their church life. A member of the Salvation Army, on enrolment as a soldier, accepts the call to discipleship and follows a lifetime of continued obedient faith in Christ. Some churches, such as the Anglican, Lutheran, Roman Catholic and the Orthodox churches, offer baptism from infancy through to adulthood, while many Protestant churches only offer baptism to those who can answer for themselves. This variety has led to different opinions and thoughts being expressed when it comes to discussing a theology or theologies of baptism. It has also led to different controversies through the century, especially when the Anabaptists, during the time of the Reformations in the 16th century, began to advocate what they called believers' baptism where the candidate was able to freely confess their faith in Christ and request to be baptised. They were opposed to the baptism of infants who, they said, 
were not able to make a conscious decision to be baptised themselves. The end result was that for many years, in fact for many centuries, various churches did not recognise any other form of baptism except their own. Or if they did, it was from churches whose theology and practice was similar to theirs. This meant that when someone wanted to change churches, they often needed to be rebaptized in their new church because it did not recognize the baptism that had been administered by their old church. This put a lot of stress and tension in relationships between churches to the point that there was, to all intents and purposes, no relationship at all. Another factor eventually came into consideration because people asked to be baptized as adults, even though they had been baptized as infants or young children, on the grounds that their first baptism meant little or nothing to them. They either barely remembered it, or they did not answer for themselves because their parents and godparents answered on their behalf. This led to more discussion and debate about the nature of baptism. Since many churches believed it to be a sacrament, so when it was administered it was a once-only event. In other words, a person could not be baptised more than once. This did not stop the requests for what is essentially a believer's baptism, even though the candidate had been baptised at a younger age. So, like many doctrines and decisions of churches, there was for a long time an impasse when it came to talking about baptism and what it meant for both churches and individual Christians. At this point, it sounds as if the situation was beyond changing. Pastorally, it caused a lot of angst because some churches would not recognize the baptisms that had been administered by other churches. Further angst occurred when churches insisted that couples seeking to be married in the church must be baptized there before they were allowed to do so. As the years went by, some positive things began to happen regarding baptism within different churches. Bilateral dialogues were occurring, which involved two churches sending representatives to meet and discuss issues of common interest. It also allowed churches to present to their dialogue partner their own beliefs and doctrines. A better understanding of each other's position on key areas of their life, such as baptism, the Eucharist and ministry, was established. Bilateral dialogues led at times to agreed statements and reasonable consensus. Often the seemingly insurmountable issues and disagreements were able to be amicably resolved. In the case of baptism, there was the realisation that perhaps the differences were not as numerous as the similarities. Dialogues and agreed statements often lead to covenants, where churches agree to recognise each other's doctrines and practices. This has certainly been the case with baptism. In 2004, the National Council of Churches in Australia, or NCCA, took a significant step when a multi-dimensional covenanting document was endorsed and signed. Along with that went much celebration. The covenanting document took eight years of reflection and consultation. It was seen as a renewed expression of the commitment member churches had made to each other through their membership of the NCCA, by specifying that commitment in particular undertakings. It's worth adding that this multi-dimensional document and its processes has been well received in different parts of the world. The document is called Australian Churches Covenanting Together, 
It is divided into different dimensions that churches agree to commit to. Dimension 4 is entitled Common Sacraments. In it, 11 churches who are members of NCCA agree together, and I quote it in full, to recognise the sacrament of baptism administered in each other's church and to promote the use of the common certificate of baptism. End of quote. This agreement is important because it shows how far relationships between churches has come over the past 50 or so years. It is though one thing to sign a covenant and another to remain committed to it. On the whole, this particular agreement to recognise baptisms administered in these different churches has been upheld and kept. So we're able to talk about the concept of a common baptism and express it through the use of a common certificate when it is administered. That is why the title of this episode of Ecumenical Musings is Our Common Baptism. Having looked at these positive decisions that are now well established ecumenically, the question about the importance of baptism can now be raised. Churches, of course, see baptism as most important. It is the cornerstone of church membership. When a person is baptised, they are said to be now part of God's family. Baptisms in many churches are administered in the context of Sunday worship, so that the gathered congregation can both welcome the newly baptised into their midst and commit to nurturing them as they grow and develop as Christians. But are families and individuals responding to baptism in this modern age? Do they see it as important? Are they interested in the Christian faith as they may have been in the past? I ask these questions because of changes that have occurred over the past 40 years or so when it comes to baptising children and adults in the modern church. There was a time when parents would waste no time in bringing their children for baptism. Even if they didn't attend church services regularly, they still asked for and expected to receive baptism on behalf of their child or children. Most of the time it was given, since churches really wanted as many people as possible to be baptised and be regarded as members of the church. It also provided a contact point with the family, who were then invited to participate in a parish or congregation's ministry programs and activities for the various age groups. For adults wishing to be baptised, it was similar, though it has to be said that the preparation of an adult is more intense and often took longer than the preparation of children or their families. I won't go into the debates about baptism preparation that have occurred in recent times. What I want to highlight is the fact that about 20 years ago, the numbers of those who were baptised, both children and adults, dropped significantly. Baptism was not being administered as often as it once was. This reduction did vary from region to region in Australia, but on the whole, fewer children and adults were being baptised. Many articles and books have been written on this topic, along with debates and discussions at various levels of leadership within churches. Some saw it as a catastrophe, while others saw it as a challenge to be worked on. I like to see this change as one of being more honest. Churches were starting to be honest about promoting the importance of baptism as a means of allowing a person to build a relationship with God. They strengthened the preparation for baptism instead of just freely offering it. 
Families and individuals were honest about where they stood at that point in their lives about belief in God and membership of a church. This, along with the ecumenical moves of churches in recognising each other's baptisms, has raised the importance of the sacrament in the eyes of those who look for it. Its commonality lies in its global recognition as an important part of Christian life, rather than baptism being regarded as common because everyone did it without giving it too much thought. The importance of covenants and agreements in this instance cannot be underestimated. By going through a process of dialogue, churches have an opportunity to look at the importance of the topic being discussed and examined. They can ask hard questions about whether their church life and ministry would be poorer if, say, baptism was discontinued or dropped as a sacrament. Thankfully, churches have responded more positively by reaffirming the importance of baptism within their life and practice. Through baptism, all Christians, past and present, are linked together in a way that extends back to the earliest days of the church. As we find in the Gospel, particularly St Matthew's Gospel, baptism has the mandate of Jesus, and churches have been commanded to baptise as they move about in the world. The modern church has, through different avenues, taken the opportunity to look carefully, as the church has done before, at how and why it administers baptism. This has reinvigorated it and reminds us that baptism is a beginning and not an end in itself. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Ecumenical Musings as we focused on our common baptism. While you may not agree with everything I have raised or said, I hope it has given you some food for thought on this important topic. I'm Richard Tewton, and I look forward to sharing with you on another Ecumenical Musings.